0: It is Monday, February 10th, 2020, the day after the Oscars and Parasite was the big winner. Ben Lyons of ABC's post-Oscar show will join us in just a few minutes to recap Hollywood's biggest night. Also, the trade deadline came and went in the NBA. We'll tell you who won, who lost, and who has some work to do in the buyout market. All that and more coming up in minutes. This is The Tune-Up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snail campaign provocateur, Mister. It's always a beautiful day in his neighborhood. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Hi, Denny. You on know, the Oscars? The Tom Hanks, uh, Mister Rogers movie was up for it, so I'm figure have that little tie in there. Uh, is
1: that is that the show where they put the awards to the pictures?
0: <laughs> is that that one? one on cable? for the 92nd time. Oh, oh, lovely. I
1: love, I love the pictures. I love going. <laughs>
0: All right, Benny, because we can't go from cold takes to hot takes, it's time for our don't-fuck-this-up person or thing of the week. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. And the last thing I said to him, I said, look, man, don't-fuck-this-up for me. Don't-fuck-it-up.
1: Benny, what do you got? So, I if you've been uh, following space exploration lately. It's a big topic for me normally. But NASA is promising a moon landing by 2024. Now, this seems a little out of reach by my layman's understanding of what happens. George Bush had promised us we would be to the moon by 2020. That did not happen. No one has been to the surface of the moon since 1972. And NASA is making this promise. They have no lander built yet. The lander is what takes you from lunar orbit to the space surface, not only they not have one, they haven't even offered the contract to build the lander. So the 2024 deadline to put Americans back on the moon seems a little out of reach, but I really hope it happens. So please, NASA... Don't fuck this up.
0: I feel like I can't comment on this because, you know, as we've talked about, my brother works for NASA, so... I've got, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh NDAs. NDAs. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You don't want to mess it's with like, that.
0: It would be like me asking if gaslight's ever going to come back. <laughs>
1: NDAs. More NDAs.
0: <laughs> All right, Benny. So... We do this warm-up, and it can be negative, and sometimes pessimism is necessary. But I also think this category has an opportunity to shed light on people who didn't fuck it up. I love that. In fact, it did the furthest thing from fuck it up. And this week, I'm talking about American film director Matthew Cherry, who won an Oscar for his animated short film Hair Love. And that would have been enough for, for most people, but when I did further research on Cherry... I discovered that he played football at Akron. And not only did he play football there, but by by the time he left, he was the all-time leader in receptions, yards, touchdowns, punt returns, and punt return touchdowns. Goodness. Pretty significant. And for most people, oh, good college career, that would have been enough. But he went on to play in the NFL. He played for the Jaguars, Bengals, Panthers, and Ravens before playing in NFL Europe. So, bravo, Matthew Cherry. Congrats on your Oscar, and I can't wait to see what you do next. I
1: had no idea. What a wonderful story.
0: Yeah, played yeah. football, athlete with that second arc of the career. And last night, in oh, fact, he paid tribute to Kobe in his sure acceptance did. speech. Really served as a real inspiration for him. So, it's kind of been cool. I know we talked about Kobe a lot in the past couple of weeks, but to see the impact that he had both in athletics yeah. and that, and impacting that young man who, by the way, this whole project got off the ground on Twitter and... 2016, he tweeted out, "Do I know any graphic designers on here? I got a story that I think is an Oscar idea." Tweets that in 2016. Four years later, he's holding the statue. denny I love this.
1: I love (laughs) that you're breathing some positivity into the world. Exactly. Some
0: good things can happen. Thanks for that. (laughs) All right, Benny. We'll do the Oscars in the top of the fold, but we got to start on the hardwood. This past trade deadline. It came and went, and the NBA got turned on its head. Well, sort of. It started with Andre Iguodala finding a South Beach escape from his self-inflicted absence off Beale Street. Then the Warriors and Timberwolves swapped two max players in D'Angelo Russell and Andrew Wiggins. The Clippers added Marcus Morris, as Marcus Morris had his very own escape from New York. And then the Rockets went all in on super small ball, which we'll see if that happens as Clint Capella is now a hawk. Oh and who lost well the Lakers they came up short on Iguodala, Morris and the, the most surprising one of all Darren Collison and have now turned their efforts to Dion Waiters who I mean we he's he's gotten on this podcast for all the wrong we all the wrong reasons. You know it's legal in uh California <laughs> Danny and it's much stronger. <laughs> but by far the biggest loser of the trade deadline is Isaiah Thomas who is playing for the Wizards decent minutes, got traded to a contender and you're like all right and then he gets waived, yeah. which you, which is bad enough, but then he got waived the day before his birthday. So you're talking about a guy who could have had potentially a max deal with the yeah. Celtics, now maybe out of the league. So, Benny, a lot went down. Who got better? Who got worse? And what changed after the deadline?
1: A lot to cover, as you said. I, I got a couple winners, clear winners to me. And some some people will disagree, of course and you're welcome to tweet or write in and tell me that I'm wrong. At the Up HQ? Yeah. But I I think Minnesota was a big winner. I really do. Um, If anything became obvious in the last couple weeks, it was the fact that Carl Anthony Towns is not right. He's he's a a unique talent. Uh, I think people, because of the Jimmy Butler situation and the fact that him and Wiggins are one of those Uh, you know, frustrating pairs because you know they can be capable of so much more and they haven't shown it to you. But there's obviously something wrong in Minnesota. There's obviously something wrong with that connection. And the fact that Andrew Wiggins started the season putting up like 40 a game and convincing everybody he, he finally made that turn and then all of a sudden disappeared for another couple months, it obviously took its toll. And Carl Towns has looked like he does not want to be there and does not want to play basketball in the last couple of weeks. So sometimes you got to go off paper and, and see like what this could do to like a locker room and what can, so if you can find a way to get rid of one of the most bloated contracts, maybe, you know, mm. arguably this is getting into like history of NBA mm. stuff. That's a bad yeah, contract. A bad deal. And uh, if you can get away from something like that and try to save your franchise superstar in the same breath, then it's, it's obviously very worth it. Uh, D'Lo coming back is, I thought, a, arguably a top 10. My friend Howard Beck thinks closer to a top 15 yeah. point guard in the league. Yeah. I think you got to raise his value a little bit because of his age. There's still some upside and the fact that he can play a little too. One thing, if you didn't watch the Nets all the time last year, he, he did run a lot of two with Dinwiddie playing the one. He's a very active shooter and slasher. He can actually be functional there. He's just defensively going to have some problems with that size. Uh, I also like the fact for very little, they brought back uh, Malik Beasley and ancho Hernan Gomez, who are like young, energetic pieces to put around them. And I think at the end of this, Minnesota wound up much better. I don't think it's bad for Golden State either. Mm. I think, you know, they the idea must be this is a a... Uh, a functional replacement for the Harrison Barnes three they had a few years ago and Iguodala type they had a few years ago. Obviously, he can't defend nearly the way Iguodala can, but he's arguably a better scorer than either of them. The the biggest issue I see with Golden State is now they are truly locked in to the deals they have. And if anything goes wrong with a starting five who's very powerful, like, you know, you're looking at Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, whoever they decide to throw at the five, things like that. But all of these pieces are two years removed from when they were highly functional. And another thing that, um, that happened is they, they have no bench. So if anything happens to those guys, everyone forgets that these championship teams had Sean Livingston and Iguodala and David West and all these highly functional pieces coming off the bench, and uh, I think they're they're pretty thin as a result of this trade. Um, the other winner, I, I can't believe I'm going to say it. For now, the New York Knickerbockers, I think, made some some decent moves. Like they got a pick, they got a pick. They they maximized Marcus Morris the best you could. I mean, they they played the hell out of him early in the year. They showcased him. The teams wanted him desperately uh they got back a pick and i like the idea of bringing leon rosen um i know that's not nece- you know uh necessary for the trade market but i think uh it was worth a shot to go into this model you know the bob myers model the rob Palenka model of bringing an agent with great connections through the league into new york and just like trying to bring that culture and from everything i'm understanding it's the type of guy who uh uh, James Dolan might actually yeah. stand back from a little bit and let him work. So I think those are uh, uh, those are my winners.
0: I'm going to touch on the Knicks part first because I think that that's of utmost importance of what you just said. So I've met Worldwide West a couple of times. Okay. Okay. Um, I was I was in college. I was covering Marquette. Uh, they are playing at Villanova. This is Hype Villanova. This is National Championship Jay Wright-run Villanova. And Wes is, comes to the game. He rolls in with Jimmy Butler, obviously, because okay. the Marquette connection. This was just before Butler came to the Sixers. But he, he also rolls in with Joe Kim-Noah, who at the time was like a <laughs> hot commodity. Sure. So this is off the clock. They roll into a basketball game together. And I say all of this as a indicator of the kind of personal connection that at this day and age in the NBA that you need to be successful sure. in an NBA front office. So I think that Leon Rose and together working with uh, World Wide West, I think that this could be a great thing. And by the way, anytime you bring a guy into your organization that has been name-checked by Drake in a very popular song, <laughs> you can't go wrong. So that is my that is my NBA ownership 101 right there. You know, it just... You learn the game from William Wesley, and hopefully that'll uh, help out the next. Listen, bit. sometimes culture dictates
1: business. <laughs> exactly. I, this I is mean, smart. I think this is smart.
0: I mean, if if Jay Z can run an entire sports agency, hey, you never know. <laughs> and then the second point that I had there about this Golden State trade, I don't think this was a good trade for Golden State. I think that they went about this too early. I think that they would have been better. So because this deal would have been. There for them in in the off season sure, that's, around the draft. Yeah, that's right. so. If you could have packaged D'Angelo Russell with maybe a pick, you could have brought in another superstar. Because think about it, everyone's gonna want the guys in maybe the top five of of this draft. So you go D'Lo and maybe like the the rights like a James Wiseman or something like that, and you're talking about a brand new big three. Now now you're kind of stuck here with a Andrew Wiggins who. He may be a star for you, but he's not going to be a superstar. He's not going to be the Kevin Durant void that's right there. So I think for, for a lot of this, they've really played it wrong. Now they've tried to have done the best that they can do. But I don't think that this is at all the solution for Golden State. And I think, if anything, uh, with their with their contract situation, it kind of opens the door for someone like Draymond to leave. Yes. Yeah, definitely a higher possibility of that. Do you
1: think the Warriors are suffering a little from like their own... Uh their own inside ego, you know, the idea that, like, you know what, this guy was just in the wrong franchise. Yeah. Now he's in this place, <laughs> this place that can bring the life out of anyone, that can maximize anyone. You think it was their a little bit of braggadociousness that, that makes them think they can repair
0: Andrew Wiggins? I mean, they've they, they've said time and time again that they are head and shoulders above yeah, the rest yeah. of the league. I dare to say they've been Astros-like in their mentality. <laughs> oh, man, okay. <laughs> but with all of that said... I mean, I don't think this was that. I think this was them trying to do what they thought was best in the moment because uh, they didn't want to let Kevin Durant leave for nothing, and I understand that. They got an, an asset back, but maybe if they didn't have that, they could have maybe spent some more money last season in that off season. maybe try to be in the Kawhi hunt, even though the the whole Clippers thing seemed right there. So. I think that, you know, maybe the past 18 months they haven't been as far ahead of everybody as they would like to believe.
1: I mean, the one thing the, the one thing I, I would I would reserve judgment on is the idea that D'Lo wasn't at his maximum value right now because of how much run he was able to get. You know, like like when are you going to get to showcase D'Lo with the ball in his hand for 35 minutes a night again? when Steph Curry comes back in March, when all these things start to, to piece itself back together again. So you either traded for someone who is projecting to be your starting three for the next couple of years or holding on to somebody who's a fringe guard piece that, that you're only going to be able to get 25 minutes to a night anyway. Well, I don't
0: think the value of D'Angelo Russell would have changed regardless of what the Warriors did this year. I mean, I think that people like that he's playing for sure, but, um, I still think that his value would be the same in the summer as compared to right now. Heck, it may even be higher because it's kind of like a uh, it's gonna be a buyer's market this summer because there's less opportunities in free agency. So all of these deals that 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 that's kind of what made this deadline kind of combustible mm-hmm. was the fact that there's no people that are head and shoulders above everybody else. Sure in this free agency market. So you kind of got a lock in your roster this year for next year.
1: I mean, I think people have a little bit of revisionist history of D'Angelo Russell and forget that up until, you know, maybe January, February of last year, Spencer Dinwiddie was the best point guard on the Nets. Mm. And, you know, he went down, Lavert went down, and all of a sudden D'Angelo Russell just... Pieced together a semi magical second half run last year, you know, no. got them to the playoffs, got himself uh, onto the all star team. But I, I do think there's a chance that he regressed to the mean a little bit, and yeah. people saw it. Um, and they may have jumped on his max
0: value. And that haircut's not doing him any favors either. <laughs> I mean, what is that? What is that? He's a. All...
1: I had to ask our friend Howard Beck. He he's not high in DLO. I'm like, is this? <laughs> I'm like, is this because of the swaggy P thing?
0: It was not. It was not. All right, Benny. So we've touched on some of the winners. Let who kind of lost this trade deadline? Well, I
1: know it's hard to say they lost because of how good of a team it is, and when you see them on paper. But the Lakers took a loss. Yeah, they were after some players. They didn't get those players, and they didn't get them. Because of the thing people were concerned about in the offseason anyway, which is a lack of assets after the Anthony Davis trade. And they just didn't have enough assets to pull Marcus Morris over the Clippers, who they very well could see in the Western Conference Finals or at some point in the playoffs. So, uh, And it looks like Darren Collison is staying with God, even though they were <laughs> courting him at the games and, uh, and he was showing up. I didn't know how much that was going to move the needle anyway. Um, so I think the Lakers coming up short, they still have a lot of holes going into the off season. Marcus Morris would have helped quite a bit. So would Iguodala. Uh, and they lost both those guys. Also the Detroit Pistons, goodness gracious. (laughs) Like if you want to talk about not trading a guy at his max value, this Andre Drummond (laughs) deal was maybe the worst I've seen in a long time. I mean, if you traded him any point last season, if you, you know, opted in, I mean, why the fuck wouldn't you opt in anyway? It doesn't matter. And if you opt in and trade him next season, his value is even higher. The fact that they took a guy who's led the NBA in rebounding five times, has been the best defensive player on the court for uh, two years of his career. He's leading the league in rebounding significantly right now. And he got traded for (laughs) John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a 2023 second round pick. So the Pistons, uh, I know they're looking for a full reboot at this point, which they should be doing probably, but man, they couldn't have struck out more on, on the value. And it looks like they're probably going to buy out Reggie Jackson too, and not get any of his value. And they just got Blake Griffin sitting there Luke Kennard never panned out. Like, I don't know, man. That team is in is rough shape.
0: I will not allow any John Henson slander on this podcast. I used to see him all the time at Mikey's in Milwaukee. How did that so. guy get that hairline at 16 years old,
1: though? He's so confusing. Seven feet tall. He's got, like, like a, the most baby face I've ever seen and, like, a 100-year-old hairline. I, I never understood John Henson.
0: My loser at the deadline is the Philadelphia 76ers, yeah, and what yeah. in the world is happening there? And we've talked about it a couple times on this podcast. Ben Simmons and Embiid, they're just not a fit together. <sighs> and quite strange. frankly, like something's going to need to change there. And I have a feeling it's not going to be Joel Embiid. I kind of think that Simmons may be the guy, the the odd man out there. Even though if, if they'd want to build a offense around Simmons, that would, could probably take them further. But... Um, I mean, you, you saw in that Bucks game, Embiid goes two for 15 in the first half. Not not great shooting on the whole. And that's kind of my my main point here. If the Sixers are going to be successful, they need to add shooters around. I think when they let JJ Redick go, that was a huge mistake. Um, they let Jimmy go as well. Not a top tier shooter, but a shooter that will get it done, especially in the of time. Jr. Exactly, and they get those slack. pieces. They're, they're upgrades over what they had, but sure. I, I don't think that for them, the goal for the Sixers should be Eastern Conference Final, championship or bust, and they definitely did nothing there to get to that point. I mean, I think they fortified
1: themselves. Robinson and Burks are both guys you can pull off the bench. Burks can create his own shot. They can both shoot threes. So I think they did help themselves a little bit. But Philly, to me, is that team. If you told me they lost in four games in the first round, or if you told me they went to the finals yeah. this season. Both make sense <laughs> to me because I could just as easily see this team gel going forward and becoming yeah. a real beast. I think before they split those two up, the uh, uh, Brett Brown's head will be on a stick. Yeah. Before they split those two up, and he deserves some uh, right. of the blame for what's going on. I for, mean, especially
0: for the roster. You got to coach yeah. the
1: pieces you have. You yeah. know what I mean? And but like,
0: especially when he was such a big part of putting those pieces putting those there. pieces
1: together. Exactly. So. Uh, I think Elton Brand made some bold and, you know, piggish decisions, and we'll see how those pan out. But I do think they're going to, uh, they'll sacrifice Brett Brown before they split those two up.
0: I'm not sure at what point Elton Brand starts GMing for his job, but Philly gets turns on people quite quickly. Sure do. But I don't think after this deadline, I mean, I think that the Sixers sit in sixth in the Eastern Conference. I mean, because. Milwaukee, Head and Shoulders, sure. Toronto looks unbeatable Boston. right now. Miami, Boston, Indiana, even they just got Victor Oladipo back, so it's it's not looking great for the Sixers. A team of this quality should not be this far down in the standings. No, but. That's a fact.
1: Yeah, that's a fact. They don't want to be playing on the road this offseason. No, either. exactly.
0: All right, Benny. The Major League Baseball hot stove is smoldering. Can you even call this the hot stove? I don't know. Uh, The Red Sox, well, I'm not quite sure what they're thinking. They sent Mookie Betts and David Price to the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers are sending back a package that includes Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs, and catcher Connor Wong. Back to the Boston Red Sox. Benny, I mean, what to make of this? Where do the Red Sox go from here? And what the heck does this mean for the AL East? It means a lot. First, I want to call out... For for
1: you mentioned the fact that we have a hot stove with, with no heat. Yeah, I go to look for a little information on the batch trade, and what do I find? with baseball tonight and Buster only haven't updated a podcast since last Wednesday, huh. before the, even the first trade went through. I need a little information from these I mean, guys. I mean, you can't give Bill Simmons two hours without putting up a basketball podcast when something happens. I got to call going a on with this out guy.
0: Here? Considering every single week on this pod, we say it's Monday when we release it on Tuesday, but oh. continue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so first off, I want Buster and his friends to get it together because this is just not enough content. You know, there's this is the biggest week in baseball in a long time. Right. You had the penalties. You had the trades, like Jock Peterson getting pulled out, the trade yeah. changing. The fact that there's not, like, day-to-day coverage of this is kind of bad. Let's just say that <laughs> first off. Now... I understand the salary implications for the Red Sox. Sometimes you just have to pay for your fans, man. And when you're giving up a generational outfield talent with with, uh, personality and swag, has already pulled an MVP, already gone to the World Series, you cannot let that guy go under any circumstance. Especially you're paying half of David Price's salary. You dumped... All this money into Chris Sale and Nathan A. Evaldi. they're making $46 million alone next year just between the two of them. If if they just retained David Price and Mookie Betts this offseason, they would have paid $17 million in the luxury tax. Which for a team like this, come on, it's like it's like a drop in the bucket. It's me going to get a, a fucking donut, Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> for these guys. And the idea that like you couldn't have played this season out with a very good team again. David Price pitching again, I mean, the best way to to, to keep a guy in, to give you a local discount, to do any of that, is to win, you know? And not only did the Red—it's like the Red Sox doubled down on losing this offseason. It's like they lost their coach, things went sour, they can't get the team healthy, and it's like they doubled down on being bad while they have— Bogarts, Benintendi, Martinez, Devers. like They got a core of players that could still do something. So next year is going to be a mess for them. You have Chris Sale, Erod, Martin Perez, Avaldi, Hector Velasquez as your core for pitching. Uh, I think they totally blew it. And I think it's a big hit for their fans. And uh, I don't really understand the logic past some very basic financials that I think they could have gotten over.
0: Well, I think I know what it is entirely. The Red Sox need to suffer because this ownership group is all in on Liverpool right now. Oh, Liverpool the... is the golden <laughs> goose over there. They, they don't care about the Red Sox anymore. They, they rose to prominence with the Red Sox, and then they're like, oh, hey, Liverpool, hot commodity, international, Red Sox, bye. No, or, but, or
1: another hot take. Could possibly be Mookie Betts's bizarre uh, road home splits, <laughs> and maybe the you know the investigation in the Red Sox isn't over yet. Oh, Who knows? Maybe oh they knew gosh. something about that. Who knows? Who knows? I just
0: want to go for another 100 years. I, I wish this trade happened to the Yankees just so we could have 100 years of the curse of Mookie. Like, I mean,
1: that, that's one thing. As a Yankees fan, it, I mean, it's just crazy to me that we're still considered the evil empire with what Boston's done the last 20 years. It doesn't make any sense. And how does this affect the AL East? It affects it greatly because... The Red Sox, which I imagine to be a behemoth we were going to have to get through uh, maybe two months ago, I now view as like a semi-broken team with young pieces that's going to have to figure a lot of things out, especially, I mean, they can't fucking pitch out of a paper bag, especially (laughs) if Chris Sale, you know, which you won't pitch over 20 games. He never will. Yeah. Probably ever again. So uh, I think they're in trouble. As far as the league goes, Baltimore, I'm afraid to say to my Orioles friends out there, I know some. It's an absolute non-factor. <laughs> it's a bad team. going to be really bad again. There's really not even much to watch yeah. to, to be excited for. I think uh, Tampa yeah, t- is sneaky good. Yeah. They might have the best staff in the AL East. They're bringing back Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, Tyra Glass now. who top three healthy could be just as good as uh, as anyone in the AL East. They um, traded away Pham, and I got a little thinner. He was like a... Clubhouse guy that that, you know, was uh, important to that team, but they just made a sneaky move from Manuel Margot mm. from the Padres, who was the second highest rated uh, defensive outfielder in the National League last year, pairing him together with Kevin Kiermeyer, which now all of a sudden everybody always wonders, like, how's Tampa win so much? It's stuff like that. They just put two of the best defensive outfielders in the league next to each other. Mm. It's a big deal, especially yeah. in their park. So I think they're going to be scary again. And then uh, Toronto went out and signed uh, Ryu. They signed Tanner Rourke. And any one of uh, Biggio, Guerrero, Bouchette, or Guriel are, are primed for breakout seasons. So I think Toronto and Tampa are the teams that that the Yankees will have to contend with this year. And I leave that for the last, <laughs> which is the New York Yankees, who... I got to imagine, are the clear favorites for the AL East and probably the, oh, AL, yeah, in the AL in general. in um, general. And the only real question marks to me are, are the health of the pitching staff. Once you get past Cole and Tanaka, Severino and Paxton, both need to make 20-plus starts for us to not be in trouble.
0: Uh, in the Yankees, regard. not us. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Danny, I'm a radio man now. I gotta, I gotta curb this. Thank
1: you, thank you. Jesus. Uh, yeah. I'm. Uh, I don't care about the Yankees. I, I don't even follow them. <clears throat> so I think uh, it means a lot for the AL East. You know, in the long run, you got to see. You know, Boston did bring back a number of players who are highly ranked, could be great players. Um, so you got to give it a couple years always to let it pan out. See if David Price really regressed that much and if he's going to help the Dodgers, but
0: uh, on first take, I, I couldn't hate this deal more. My big takeaway from everything that you just said, and it was fantastic, I just can't wait to see this Yankee Rays team play in Montreal. Oh, Summers in Montreal, little, it's gonna be fun, a little poutine and fondue, and watch the Yanks. It's a beautiful city, too. yeah,
1: beautiful city. Great I feel food. like.
0: And we're not getting a kickback. I know this is the second time in two months we brought up Montreal. But it could be a good time. No, but um, I just want to kind of run down the prospects that the Red Sox got back here. Yeah. So Jeter Downs, who I'm not even kidding. When you do the research, they're he's like, Downs is Derek named Jeter. after Derek Jeter. Yeah. And he's playing for the Red Sox. So yeah. that's that's kind of a key of where all of this he, he is He also going. has poor defensive metrics, exactly. just like Derek. And he's a Class A <laughs> And double a. He split time there last year, which is like, okay, you're, you gave up an MVP for that. Wong is a utility player. I'm not really sure what you're getting there. Still like a minor league guy. For Dugo, I mean, 23 through 377 plate appearances with the Dodgers. Uh, tick below 300. 12 homers, 44 R- RBIs. Not exactly an eye for an eye when you're talking about giving up a MVP. No. But still... No. We are now joined by a man who calls himself the taco fall of ABC's Oscar coverage. It's Ben Lyons. What's up, dude? You saw that, huh? I I had to sneak that in there for the hoopers. That
1: was was the deep cut we all needed.
0: So we got to get into this before we get any further. Stephen A. and you last night. Was it as good as you imagined it was going to be?
2: I gotta be honest. It was even better than I thought it was gonna be. Parasite <laughs> was the best picture I thought it was, but I didn't see Bond winning for director. That's just me. That's just what I gotta say. It was not the yo. The whole experience, guys, was insane. You know, I've covered the Oscars. I was doing the math. I counted. This is my 14th time that I got wow. to do this, which is insane. And I'm so appreciative of it. And it's a really special energy. And you see a lot of familiar faces. Um, but to sit in the table read on Saturday night next to Stephen a smith as he's going through the script that's right leonardo dicaprio you might not be a winner tonight but you i lost it in the table read i said i'm <laughs> sorry i have to interrupt this is amazing and everyone laughed And whatever. so the but voice
1: never ceases it's always
2: going it's it's not always he's subdued during the show <laughs> okay, my okay. favorite moment my favorite moment of the night it was during the in memoriam, which is always moving, and you're reminded of so many, so much talent sure, that we lost. Sure. There's, I forget who there was a producer who passed away, and Stephen A. just looks over to me, and goes, "I went to that man's birthday party once." <laughs> <And> I, went, <laughs> I went. What? He goes, "His wife. His wife called me. Apparently, a big fan of the show. Very sweet man." And I was like, "Okay."
1: He's tied in everywhere.
2: It was incredible, and um, he. But he jumped right in with the same preparation as if he were breaking down Rockets Warriors, you know. And uh, it brought a new energy to the whole thing. And guys, I gotta be honest, you're Hoopers, you get it. How how is the universe working that this is the year where Hoopers have a heavy heart at the Oscars? Yeah, and yeah. I get to, and I get to be there with Stephen A. and talking to him and hearing stories and. You know, Spike suit last night paying tribute to Cove. You know, so in a weird poetic way, for me it made sense to have Stephen A. there because I'm sure I'm like you guys. I'm still healing in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was very important last night. Yeah, I always wonder. I've spent a lot of time at uh at music festivals, these major, uh you know, Reading, Leeds, Glastonbury, those types of places, and. And, you know, I I know what that looks like. I know you get there. Everybody's got their separate little cubbies. There's a (laughs) there's like a, um, you know, sort of a communal catering area, communal hanging out area, usually some VIP drink sections. I have no concept of what it looks like back there. Like what's what's the layout loosely of like an Oscars backstage? Like like are people hanging? Are they secluded? What's going on back there?
2: It's such a great question. It's incredible. And like you, I've had the chance to cover or attend, whether it's a music festival or an NBA finals or other award shows. The Oscars is on lockdown. Okay. You need credentials to get credentials. Tons of credits. Okay. So, how many laminates are you holding? Well, luckily, when you work for the big show, you just got one. Oh, beautiful. It's, It's. it's a different deal. And I've, and I've, again, since I've been doing this for 14 years, I've, I've covered it every which way. I've done Oscar shows where I couldn't – we were across the street on a roof. Right, right, right. There is a labyrinth that exists in that Dolby Theater of secret tunnels and passageways. And so it's really complex back there, which then creates this energy of you never know who you're going to run to around right the corner. You really – it's like a Hollywood funhouse on some level. Yeah, like it's, yeah. Uh, but they have that place on lock down more so than any other show, any other event I've ever covered or been to.
1: Could imagine is it is it like the uh, say it's like your first nomination? You're you know uh, you're in your early twenties. Does that person get like hey you have a, a couple seats in you know this this ballroom and then Brad Pitt gets the you know like the private back room? Like is there a, a pecking order back there?
2: Wild well, attention to the front row for the actual awards, right? Mm, right. That kind of tells you know, the sort of well, it's almost like Hollywood's State of the Union in some way. Right? <laughs> and so it's really fun. Last night I got to interview Rebel Wilson, and it was her first Oscars, and she's. Honestly, like, oh, God, this is crazy. This is what I watched on TV growing up in, you know, Australia, and it's now I'm here and see big stars kind of have those moments. I, I really enjoy again taking it back to Kobe. I remember 2018 backstage when he won his Oscar, and he was just like, "Oh my God, this is like to see Kobe Bryant starstruck of the moment." <laughs> like, when you, that's you can only get the, the Oscars, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you mentioned that you talked to stars like Rebel Wilson. You also talked to Antonio Banderas. Kind of take us through, you know, after like championship games, uh, reporters always talk about how the hardest job in journalism is to talk to people that didn't win, whether it be after the Super Bowl, National Championship, what have you. Like I said, you interviewed Antonio Banderas. Kind of take me through what your tactics are when you walk up and you have, say, like 30 seconds to a minute to talk to these people.
2: Sure. sure. Well, I'm very lucky in that I've, I, I've known you for a long time. My father, my father, who's a film critic in New York, has a relationship with Antonio because my dad is an expert in bullfighting and Antonio <laughs> had a famous bull in Malaga in the southern part of Spain. And my dad would always come into their interviews singing the song from the Malaga Bullring, right? So (laughs) I kind of know him tangentially. And think about this. Yes, he didn't win last night. But again, Antonio Banderas, first time nominated. He's Mm. 60 years old. So he's just happy to be there. He's there for a Spanish-language movie, and he's nominated for Best. Like, that's the thing that's amazing about the Oscars is that it gives – artists and fil- what is the Korean language film doing in 3000 <laughs> screens across yeah, America? Yeah, yeah, That's right? yeah, yeah. mm, true. That's the power of the Oscars. That's why it's so important to get art out there in mass. Otherwise we're just left with, you know, blockbusters and superhero movies, which have their place. Right. But right. So, so someone like that, I don't think he's going to the awards expecting to win. The win mm. really is the nomination. An honor to be nominated. That's a real thing. I know people see that, but, um, yeah, try to get in, give it a couple questions, don't, don't 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 knock the lighting kit over, make sure the mics work, and keep it moving, you know?
0: <laughs> so you asked people on the red carpet what moment they will take with them. What moment will you take with you from last night, whether it be after or during the award show? What moments stood out to you from last night?
2: Well, I think just as far as show openings go... Um, Janelle Monae just crushed it. Mm -hmm. I thought she was amazing to do that from Mr. Rogers to a big musical number, Billy Porter, getting Leo to sing la, 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 la. That was, that was awesome. That was just a full display of talent at the highest level, which I thought was incredible. Um, I love seeing Shia LaBeouf and Zach Gatzigan. I said it on the show, that movie Peanut Butter Falcon, a sweet film that came out earlier in the year. But Shia, not someone who would ever present at an award show mm. for any other reason than to shine a light on a film that means something to him and to take Zach along for the ride with him right, right. is a tremendous gift. You know, the Academy, they asked Shia to present, and he said, "I'm only going if I can bring my friend Zach, who I made this movie with." Very and cool. Very cool. I love that. That's my. He's my number one guy. Always has been. Always will be. And I'm so proud of him for the for what he did last night, but for the year he's had. And uh, so that was really cool. And then again, just hearing Stephen A. Being upset that Quentin Tarantino didn't win Best Director <laughs> <laughs> is something I'll take with me from last night for sure.
1: Yeah, those are the hottest of takes.
2: Um. And, and this is another one for me too. When I'm, I'm down on the carpet, we're kind of the nice sort of ending. We maybe had like a, a, another hit or two or something and Spike comes over and first thing out of his mouth. How's your father doing with the Mookie Betts trade? My dad's a diehard Red Sox fan. Diehard Red Sox fan. And what's the so, answer? Yeah, How's he doing?
1: How's he doing?
2: He's not. He's he's spinning it eight ways to Sunday. Well, they have a smaller ballpark. They can't afford him. Okay. Well, if you spend four hundred million dollars, you don't do it. Look at Trout. Look at Harper. He's a great player. So but a true can't fan. Yeah, oh my if, yeah, exactly. yeah if he's talking
1: himself yeah, exactly. into it already. That's a true fan right there. Meanwhile,
2: he's but, getting. But people. you know what's insane about my father? Like you guys think I'm a Knicks fan. My dad it's going to say cause of death: Boston Red Sox on his tombstone. <laughs> he left my high school graduation early because Pedro was pitching. <laughs> okay. He wouldn't ask. When asked why he's a Red Sox fan, he quotes a French philosopher who says, The heart has reason that reason itself knows nothing about. Okay. Oh, so he is as wow. die hard as it gets. And the fact that last two years ago, I had to call him as a Dodger fan and congratulate him. And this man said to me, Well, they should have swept. And I go, Okay. <laughs> the, the fact we've gotten to this place since 1918 <laughs> and Boston sucks and what is just it gives me hope in the universe for the Knicks it really does
1: I love that so speak, speaking of which we saw that you're a big Knicks fan long time Knicks fan I was wondering what, what's the team or the player or the squad do you remember what made you fall in love with the Knicks what was that first roster of that year that really that really hooked you
2: in The Bomb Squad, 89, Johnny Newman, Gerald Wilkins, um, Mark Jackson. You know, that time when they had a string of point guards of like Rod Strickland, Mark Jackson, uh, Maurice Cheeks, and they kind of like messed up that trio of point guards like that time. Um, Kenny Walker is only immortalized in dunk contests. Kenny Skywalker. Of course. Remember him as a player, you know? Yeah, right. Um, right. War seven, (laughs) but war number seven before Carmelo, right? Yeah, Yeah. So. That time, like late '80s Knicks, I got into. But then I went through a phase, honestly, guys, where kind of like my dad being the out-of-town sports fan, mm. I like adopted the Charlotte Hornets for like two <laughs> years. Interesting, I was, like, all into that, and then yeah, and then they made the trade, and 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 I was long gone with the Hornets by '93 or whatever. But um, yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I I you know, I, it's crazy to just kind of think about how would I live my life if I had to watch playoff games in May and June? Like I'm so busy. I'm so busy and stressed out as it is. I can't imagine 20 nights between April and June where I'd feel my heart explode. So I don't, I kind of appreciate having my summer, my spring and my summer to myself.
0: Oh, looks like you got a couple more years too, maybe. <laughs> well not if not if Leon Rose has anything to say about it, as the Knicks uh, rumored to make that official quite soon. Uh, your take on the whole agent to GM model and if you think it can work in New York.
2: Best celebrity sighting of the night last night for me. I saw Steve Stout last night. I said, Steve, Steve. I said, Steve, come here. What's what's the first order of business? I love that you right? got that what's, over
1: Leo, over over all of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Course,
2: no. Gave, a, gave Yes, gave a high five to Charlize as she walked out. Like, <laughs> who cares? Steve Stout. Like, let's talk, right? Oh, let's get into it. So I said, what's the first order of business? And he said, repair the relationship with Charles Oakley. We got to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, yeah. And that leads me to answer your question about agents and its relationships. The best agents I know sure. and the best agents I've ever worked with, it comes down to relationships. And the Knicks don't have those relationships with young players with sure. their former legends like Charles Oakley. Yeah. So if, if I'm a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old kid, let's say next year I'm, I'm Giannis or I'm Carl Anthony Towns or I'm Book or I'm any of these guys. That's how they treat Charles Oakley there. How are they going to treat me? Yeah. So let's get that right. So if, there, if Leon Rose, who is well-respected with, you know, he's Mello's agent for a long time, a big dude at CAA, a lot of great relationships there, brought Zion to CAA, right? So if that energy of relationships and, and, and upstanding can, can maintain throughout the building, maybe they got a shot.
1: That's great. I, I had seen a, uh, some, uh, I forget what piece it was in, but, but you had said something where that actors are um, more hesitant to share things about their public life and it seems to you that that athletes seem to be more open to to giving that uh, insight. Uh, why do you think that's true?
2: It's interesting. Um, that's cha- that you're right. I, I did say that, but that's shifting a little bit now because okay. Will Smith and mm-hmm. Jessica Chastain and Kerry Washington right, and there's right. certain actors or, or actors who really. Dive all in and are very transparent in their social media now. But I think there's, there's some mystery that's lost. I want to lose myself in your performance. I want to see you on screen in a wig and a mask and a beard. And I don't want to think about that. You were at Pilates this afternoon. Right. So, but, but, but athletes. Traditionally, they're a little younger, obviously, than actors. I mean, you look at everyone who won an Oscar last night for acting, and they're over 45 at least, right? Right, right, right. So when you're 50, you're a little more guarded. You bunker down. The circle is smaller. Life has kind of, right, you've set up walls and boundaries for your career and
1: And your success. Not as accustomed to social media and things like that.
2: You're 22 years old, and you come from a tough background, and now you got everything in the world. You're going to let the world know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you're and, and also um think about how much more availability there is for uh for access to athletes. LeBron does an interview pre-game. He does an interview at shoot around, post game sometimes. to multiple but at practice. Like how many times a week is LeBron interviewed mm-hmm. by 15 to 20 press outlets? Probably 10, 15 times per week. Sure. Leo Leo makes a movie every five years and then he does two days of press. He does his talk shows and then poof, you don't see him. Hmm. So there's an access. We see LeBron 82 nights a year. We see Leo once every five years.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. That's right. Really interesting.
2: So, so that starts to add up and, and creates around uh, the energy around the culture. And also publicists who have been working with actors for 30 years, hmm. 40 years, sometimes, they and, and they know the deal. They know the drill, right? There's a great publicist in town, Melissa Cates. She calls it how it is. She represents a lot of the top dudes: The Rock, uh, Shia, Chris Pratt, Chris Pine, right? There's a, there's a rhythm to it. These athletes, they come on the scene. Oftentimes they're bringing new people, new people, it's the first, which is great. I right. love that we see LeBron put on his friends in new roles and stuff, right? But there's a whole new ecosystem there that's always being regenerated because the athletes are so much younger and they're, 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 their window is so much smaller. Right. That means I interviewed Gina Davis last night. She won an Oscar in 1988. Here she is at the Oscars. <laughs> 32 years later. That's right. Right. I mean, athletes have. So there's a lot that goes into that. But it's interesting to try to find the comparisons and which ones kind of cross over and the moments where sports and film intersect. Last night, again, you guys, four years in a row, a film that wins documentary. Last night, it was short documentary for mm-hmm. the one about girls skateboarding but a sports movie for best documentary last year was free solo. The year before that it was Icarus the year before that it was OJ. So it's really cool when you see sports and cinema and film intersect. And that's the sauce that I'm always looking for.
0: And I mean, you also had Matthew cherry with hair love and he played at Akron played in the league for a hot sex. So yeah. That's awesome
2: That's to right. See. That's right. Stephen A goes, that's a New York Giant on that stage. games New York Of course he knew.
0: Of course he knew. Um, you brought up the intersection of sports, movies. I Just while we got you on the line, I got to ask, have you heard anything about Space Jam? It seems to have been under piles of NDAs.
2: I, I know Don Cheadle a little bit, and I know he's really proud of it. And Don is – the fact they got Don in there, I yeah. think, like – elevates that movie in a way that that I think people will be like, Oh wow, he's funny and him I'm really excited to see him and LeBron. I'm also happy, guys, if you go back and watch the first Space Jam, gotta be honest. It's not really a movie. It's a <laughs> no. big marketing commercial. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a commercial, commercial for Mike.
1: Yeah, it's a giant commercial. It's a
2: yeah. giant commercial, right? I think I even so knew I, that when I, I was 12.
1: You know? It never, right, it never right. sat right. Yeah. never sat right.
2: Totally. It's, 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 it's Haynes, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Nike. It's like a big David Falk commercial, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that LeBron cast the film with some guys and some women who are not Nike athletes.
1: Sure,
2: Clay Thompson. I think is in the film. Chene Akunake, I believe is in the film. She's Mm -hmm. Adidas, right? Um, So I I like that when I saw that some of the, the, the were not necessarily just part of the fun police from Nike or whatever. Um, So yeah, so that, that, that's kind of the latest and greatest I've heard on Space Jam.
0: Nice. So just to kind of bring it back to the Oscars a little bit, kind of put a bow on this year. Uh, A big storyline was that the Academy changed the foreign film award uh, to best international picture. Uh, How does Parasites win last night and its really overall sweep kind of signify the Academy's attempt to be more internationally inclusive?
2: It's big time and Spike said it on our show last night he said it's a huge night for world cinema again the idea that a Korean language film about classism uh, you know can play in 3,000 screens across the country and will be studied now in film schools from, from here to South Korea is incredible for the idea that you know, more voices can be heard and part of the conversation, perspectives. You know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Will Farrell are on that stage last night because they got a movie coming out together on Friday uh, called, uh, called Downhill, mm-hmm. which is the uh, remake of Force Majeure, which I believe was a Swedish film or a mm-hmm. Danish, something like a European movie. And so we're, we've, we've always Americanized European stories, but now I think, People are are more looking, you know, look at something like Narcos on TV, Mm, right? International story that you can't watch while on your phone because you got to read subtitles (laughs) the whole time. Right. (laughs) So I think uh, I think it's big for 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 Parasite to win last night. And I think it's the right movie to win last night. I was you know, I bet I bet on Sam Mendes to win Best Director for 1917, but I really did feel and I, you know, I talked to Amin and and Rick on NBA Mm -hmm. radio yesterday about Parasite's the movie of the moment. and You feel it. And the world is now closer than it's ever been through technology. So why can't we exchange stories on an international level, too?
1: That's right. Actually tying into the, the last thing I want to ask you was, um, do you still go to the movies? What is the reason people still go to the movies? And how is kind of the the digital age of, of consuming, you know, films and music and T V gonna gonna change that, that uh that user experience of, of going out and going to the movies? Or or is it so unique that it'll stay?
2: It's a great question. You're right. It is changing last night. An, uh, a studio one for best picture neon that I don't think existed five years ago. Wow. Maybe definitely not 10 years ago. Um, Netflix, Ted Sarandos being like the, the guy that they always cut to now. That wasn't the case 10 right, years ago. Right. right. But, um, you know, I love going to the movies. There's no better feeling when the lights go low and the starts. And it's a movie you've been waiting for, for two years, five years, sometimes, and it's that moment we go. My life will never be the same because in two hours I will have seen this. Right. So it's so. And I always say this, which gets a, like a weird response, but it's kind of creepy if you do a first date on the couch. Mm. That's like you got to go that's do something. Yeah. yeah,
1: no, Right. Like we yeah, got to, yeah, yeah, you got to
2: gotta, gotta go out. got to be in public. Be you got to be in public so
1: you're not a creep. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean?
2: Very good point. <laughs> so I love that. Dinner at a movie is still my favorite date night. Sure. Um, but I think that, uh, I think, I think it's going to only elevate the kind of storytelling that makes its way to the big screen because to get me to get a babysitter, if I got kids, gas, right. parking, movie tickets, right? Like, I better see something that's (laughs) engaging. I think you're going to start to see price differences. It should not Mm. cost the same amount to go and see Star Wars as it costs to go see Stuber.
1: Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's the same stuff that's happening in music as well. It's like if you're going to do a re-release of an album or something like that, you better add, add content, things that make it worth people to to go out and purchase it and open it up and put it on their play or else they're just not going to do it.
2: I think theaters need to continue to embrace the fact that they are gathering places for culture and not just for film. Why not have a big Oscar party in your movie theater with great, you know, music, entertainment in-house in between during the commercial breaks or make it a party or come watch the NBA finals in 2034 when (laughs) Bronnie plays for the Knicks. Uh, You know, like, let's like, let's use the cinema as a gathering place of culture for lots of different exhibitions, not just Whatever you know, Sonic the Hedgehog, and whatever movie comes out. See, so, you know? so
1: you're pro booze. The fact that you can get a, a gin and tonic at these Alamos and stuff, you think that's a good thing? I,
2: <laughs> I I love that. The thing that drives me crazy though, when you when you order, when you're sitting there and you're eating a quiche, watching the movie, or whatever people have now, or chicken paillard, yeah, and yeah, watching right. the movie, they always come in to give you the bill at the last 10 minutes uh, of the movie, which is the most emotionally engaging part of the movie. I've just invested an hour and 40 minutes of my emotion into this movie. And now you're coming over and being like, sir, that's going to be dots 8295 uh, yeah. <laughs> And you're like, she's about to die. Like, oh, what are you talking yeah. about?
1: can't think about your debit card so, at a, at those moments. They, yeah. Right.
2: Right. They got to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, they got to yeah. figure that out, sure. but, but different pricing structures. And look, I was just out at Sundance and, and they did a little, Exhibition of Quibi, which is a new mobile platform right. uh, launching mm-hmm. later this year from Jeffrey Katzenberg. And to sit on your phone and watch a movie that looks like Mission Impossible, like really pop, and it's made for your phone, and you can do things with the phone to turn it. Like, Steven Spielberg is going to direct a horror movie for Quibi. It's only going to be available to watch when your phone is in an area that's nighttime.
1: Wow! You can't
2: watch it during the day. <laughs> That's next Like level. you're gonna yeah. immerse yourself, right? Like you're gonna be able to immerse yourself in the content, mobile and digital, in ways that you haven't before, and I think storytellers will start to gravitate yeah,
0: towards how that. How interesting! Yeah. Well, speaking of immersive, and you can't—I mean, you can't bring up Oscars immersive without bringing up Eminem last night. What the heck happened there, Ben? I don't know,
2: guys. I love Marshall Mathers, but he 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 he, he was not ready for the moment, which is ironic because you only get one shot.
1: <laughs> he didn't have mom spaghetti.
2: You needed the bowl. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get it. Um, first of all, Stephen A. knew way more of the words than I thought he would, which was impressive. <laughs> everybody knows like the first like palms of sweaty drop bomb, and then they kind of lose it yeah, the yeah whole yeah. crowd open and they kind of <laughs> smack the reality oh there goes rabbit oh, i lost it you know right <laughs> he he like he knew it I he spit like, it Whoa. he spit the whole thing okay you must but, be an but fan. i don't i don't understand i, I did don't i don't i didn't understand why to be honest, like I love the little musical tribute of all the moments from Almost Famous, and you know all these great musical moments. And here's a song from 2002, or what? Like, <laughs> can we at least get like it's hard out here for a pimp? I'd rather see DJ <laughs> Paul and, and and Juicy J out there. Like, I got a theory, get, Ben.
1: Can I share? Can I share it with you while you're on the phone?
2: Shoot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, go for it. So
1: my theory is this. Eminem used to have the ability to to spurn such things. You know what I mean? He was such a huge artist. They asked him to play Lose Yourself, right? The the year that 8 Mile came out and he wouldn't come. He didn't even appear at the award show because uh, they wanted him to do it uncensored. So I think this was actually smart. And I think Eminem was making his attempt to re-ingratiate himself back into the mainstream Illuminati of sorts. And I think, like a year or two from now, they're probably going to give him a fucking lifetime achievement award or something.
2: I think it might've been a good play. It, I, it, from, from M's point of view. Absolutely. If He's trying to get back out, in the, out in the world. Don't forget. M lost his best friend in a tragic way. Right. And you know, that, that obviously weighed on him heavy. Sure. And, probably he was already reclusive and you throw that into the mix, right? Mm -hmm. That just takes it a whole, then, then he's really going to shut down. So for him to, you're right, make this kind of like reemergence to um, like a, like a debutante ball to society in some way, right? (laughs) Like the holiday to culture, be back in the mix. And there was a photo recently. Oh yeah. He gave 50 cent a star on the walk of fame. I saw with Dre or whatever. So yes, there's clearly some kind of, all right, I want to be back out in the zeitgeist now. But I thought it was just a weird moment when there were such great musical performances. And then the dude from Britney Runs a Marathon <laughs> came out two commercials later and beasted him. Like, that was wild. <laughs> when that dude came out and freestyled about what happened in the award show acapella, I was like, yo, you have some stones to come out there after Eminem and spit. Like, that was salute man that was that's like a comedian being like oh jerry seinfeld just did an hour okay i got these jokes yeah i got you. like yeah. what yeah hats off. hats off so yeah kind of a wild moment like i kind of got into it with Stephen a a little bit backstage when he was like if you want to get a younger audience that's what you do and i was like if you want to get a younger audience you don't get m&m on stage
1: <laughs> yeah especially with his new beard
2: <laughs> my favorite hip-hop moment in oscars history besides obviously uh three six mafia when they won and just the joy and adulate like that was an amazing moment and John Stewart who was hosting came out on stage and yeah. said, just for the record, three six Mafia won Martin Scorsese zero. Um <laughs> but but uh when Common and John Legend performed glory, mm. that was like the greatest. Mm. Um and Commons ver- like Energy and his whole presence as part of the Hollywood community as a hip hop dude is the best. So, um, yeah, kind of weird to see Eminem there last night. I don't think someone's going on with his playback or something. It's a tough moment, but yeah, hip hop at the Oscars. We'll take whatever we can get.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully more next year with In the Heights coming out. But he is Ben Lyons. You can follow him at Twitter at. I am Ben Lyons, and the Festival Rules podcast. I mean, you got some heavy hitters out there at Sundance, so be sure to go check that out, all of the stuff. Thanks,
2: man. I appreciate it. We're going to pop up again at South by and Tribeca, and that's with Josh, and it's, it's a lot of fun, and um, I can't thank you guys enough for having me on.
0: All right, Benny, we're running out of room on the podcast, which means it's time for the Tune Up Mailbag. You've got mail. All right, Benny, each and every week you can write into the show at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com, or you can DM us, tweet at us on Twitter and Instagram, at thetuneuphq. And we have some stuff this week. So we did our draft last week, Mm -hmm. and we got a a couple people chiming in at GX5, which is a dope Twitter handle, actually, just straight (laughs) up three letters. It's like, so is it safe to say LeBron outdrafted Giannis? Not about our draft, but about the actual one. And yes, yes, I mean, I I texted you as this was going on, and be like, I can't believe I'm watching the Titanic sink in real yeah, time. Yeah, it's very it's, safe it, to say it's that. Unbelievable. Won that draft. It's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable.
1: But uh, someone had said something that I thought was hilarious, which was, it seemed as though uh, they were in. They were in a draft, and LeBron went on auto, and Giannis <laughs> went for his favorite players. LeBron just chose the actual best players available, and Giannis chose players
0: he liked. Or Giannis chose the guys that, that are gonna play the hardest. That is the PR move by Giannis, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I'm could sticking be. to could it. Be. We we talked about the XFL last week, and Benny, you like it? I do. Don't I don't understand why uh, a bunch of people tweeted at us about it. Uh, people talking about the well, the TV ratings came out to be high. Shout out to my man Jeff Vibes, big big ball and chain fan, has has blessed our presence over here. How hey, about what's that, up, Jeff? Little crossover. Welcome. So thank Welcome. you very much. Uh, we're we're loving it. But but Benny likes this. I oh man, they got th- their their peak viewership was 3.3 million at about the 4:45 mark on Saturday. So people tune in to see what it's about. But come on, this can't have staying power.
1: I don't know if it's going to have staying power or not. All I know is that the first week was more interesting and more passable as a football game than I thought it would be. Mm. And after the first week, I think the NFL needs to take a long and serious look at the way that XFL is doing kickoffs. Yeah. Um, Setting people up five yards back, not allowing them to move until the receiver touches the ball – has created sort of an open-field running situation. You don't have bodies flying at each other at full speed. You have the ability for blockers to actually set up and, and maybe almost run uh, long-distance run plays uh, as a result of this. I think it was really interesting, and I think the first week showed that the NFL should take a long look at that. I, I, and as usual, you know, the only other league that was ever successful just got bought by the NFL. And that's probably what's going to happen again. But I just do hope that a couple players and a couple of these rules do get folded into the NFL because it seems like they could be good. But yeah. it's only a week. <laughs> I'm not going to get too far ahead <laughs> of myself and see if the Guardians are going to pull the XFL <laughs> Cup. But uh, more interesting than
0: I thought it would be. Nice. And as always, if you've Want to give us any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, you name it, Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow Benny on Twitter at Horowitz one Number one in your minds, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, anything else? Just have a great week.
1: Everybody love everybody. And
0: have a happy happy Valentine's Day to all the lovers out there, all right? All
1: the lovers. Keep it sexy. <laughs> Please. Get the Teddy Pendergrass going. <laughs> this has been The Up.